Amen. All right, let's look at chapter 12 in Nehemiah. If you need a Bible, by the way, raise one of your hands and one of the ushers or elders can certainly bring you a Bible. We read here now as we've been making our way, this is going to be looking at the genealogies of the priest. Again, sort of almost recounting right around the time of 538 BC, uh, the line that would have been with... um, Nehemiah that would have come back. And so he's recounting this for us and and certainly drawing our attention to the priests and the Levites, all everything done in decency and order. Now, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rahum, Marmoth, Edo, Ganathiah, Oiah, Abajaya, Mizraim, Mada, Malbilga, Shemaiah, Jarib, Jadesh, or Jadiah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, or Hilka, and Jedediah. These were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Beniah, or Benui, or Bunny, Bini, Kadamil, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who led the Thanksgiving Psalms, he and his brethren, also Bakabuaya, um, or Bakabah, Uni, their brethren, stood across from their duties. Jeshua begot Joachim, Joachim begot Elishab, Elishab begot Jodiah, Jodiah begot Jonathan, and Jonathan begot Jadua. Now in the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of their father's houses were Sariah, Mariah, Jeremiah, and Hananiah, and Ezra, and Meshalum of Amariah, Jehanan of Malaku, Jonathan of Shabaniah, Joseph of Harim, Adana of Maroth, Halkiah of Edo, Zechariah of Genathan, Meshalum, and Abijah, Zechri, the son of Benjamin, of Modiah, Piltiah of Bilgah and Shemaiah and Shemaiah of Jonathan. I, honestly, it doesn't matter how many times you practice this and read these. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, of Jorib, I, th- I think we'll all be f- fluent in Hebrew. Uh, Mataniah, uh, Jedaniah, Uzi, and Saliah, Kaliah, and Amok, Eber of Hilkiah, or Hilka, Hashabiah, and Jedediah, Nathaniel. During the reign of Darius, the Persian. A record was also kept of the Levites. You do remember this is, uh, or I should be clear, I shouldn't say you remember. We're talking about Darius the Great. This is going to be very important. You're going to see me pull out some of these names, especially as we make our way into Esther, because all of this is going to be relevant. Because remember, Esther takes place between chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra. It was in that period of time. And Darius the Great, remember it starts with Cyrus, then Darius, and then you remember Xerxes, right, the son the Xerxes the first. So we're going to go through that because it's a, it's a really good historical narrative, but, but he's describing Darius the Persian, as he was saying here. A record was also kept of the Levites and the priests who had been the heads of the father's houses in the days of Elishib, Jodiah, Jonan, Jununan, Judah, or sorry, Jedudah, the sons of Levi, the heads of their father's houses until the days of Johanan, the son of Elishib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, the Jeshurah, the son of Kedemiel, with their brothers across from them to praise and give thanks, group, alternating with group according to the command of David, the man of God. Mataniah, Bakubakaiah, Obadiah, Meshalom, Talmon, and Akub were gatekeepers. Remember, gatekeepers in, in the, is, is akin to security, 
a security force, a security guard, keeping the watch at the storerooms and the gates. They lived in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Joshua, the son of Jezedek, and the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe. Why would the Lord just take literally 26 verses here in chapter 12 to expound on this once again for those that had come back with Zerubbabel? Think about, think through this tonight here with me. Why would he go through and take the efforts to re-account? Because we actually read there was a list in Ezra too. And now we're reading of a list in, in Nehemiah. Do you remember those that were, we're talking about priests? We're talking about Levites. We're talking about priesthood. Detailed records need to be kept. Do you remember that when they were coming over for those that could not um, prove their heritage in the priesthood were not able to be priests as they came back into the promised land, okay, after the 70 years of captivity? And so what we're reading here is a detailed, detailed list of all those that had the lineage that all the way go back, when you really think about it, you think about Aaron, right? You start thinking about the priestly line that would come through that. And basically what this is doing is going back and it's providing evidence, Zerubbabel, so he would know who to set aside. This is, yes, you're a priest, you're a Levite, you're to do this, you have this office. Again, God is a God of decency and a God of order. And that's really, really important because if you try to go over to Israel today and you go out to claim citizenship, one of the things, if you're from the States, they're going to require is a very list like this, a genealogical, genealogical list that needs to be signed by a rabbi that says that you have this birth record going back and they can trace that lineage all the way back. And with that, Israel, the nation, will then accept you as a citizen. To this day, they still do this. They go back to the genealogy and look at those things. And it's not just Israel, right? You think of other countries in Europe. You've heard me mention Italy. You know, my family's from there. We can go all the way back. We can trace our line, our lineage that way. I'm sure a lot of you, right, whether England, you know, different areas of Europe or, you know, different areas of continent of Asia, you can go back. These things are incredibly powerful because what it points to you and I, more than just the Jewish lineage or heritage, is the spiritual heritage that you and I have as Christians he says, we have been grafted in. There is no more Jew and Gentile that way, right? In heaven, we have been grafted in. We are one from a spiritual heritage. Now, certainly the Bible, we're not talking about replacement theology here. The Bible still talks about Israel, and God still has a plan for Israel, Jeremiah 31, 31. But it's good to know we are part, even if you just, maybe you got saved last week, and you come in here today, and the first time you're reading through this in the Bible, Somebody might sit down and say, what's your spiritual pedigree? You can open up the Bible and say, you know, Paul, he's a brother of mine. And oh, by the way, you go back into the Old Testament. This is, this is God's heritage that he's established. And you and I have been written into that heritage. Amen? It's so powerful when you stop and think about what genealogies convey, what they communicate, and how they should matter to us too. Now, Nehemiah, if you think about this, right, you, you remember back um, in chapter 7, the wall was finished. But now Nehemiah is going to dedicate this wall, the, the wall because it, the time elapsed. Um, because we, as we read in the previous chapter, people needed to rededicate their lives to the Lord because they had gotten so far wayward. And it's still happening today, isn't it? 
men and women dedicating their lives to the Lord, maybe backslidden, and they come back, Lord, forgive me my sin. I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to be right with you. And the Lord is sitting there. We all know, friends, Christians, we all know where home is, don't we? If you think of the prodigal. The son knew where to go. He knew where home was. You and I, we can get off, but we know where home is. Our father, his arms outstretched, always outstretched, ready for us to come home. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites and all their places to bring them into Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. What is that? That's worship. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nethanites, or Nephonites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, from the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Isn't that wonderful? They wanted to move close, close to the church. <laughs> they wanted to be close to the temple. They wanted to, be, they wanted to be close to where they could get there, they could worship, they could lead people in worship. It's beautiful. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall. You remember? This is interesting, right? Verse 31. I brought them up on the wall. Do you remember the attacks back in chapters 4 through 6 and even before that in Ezra where they said this wall won't even stand. Even a fox crawling on that wall, what would happen? The wall would crumble. And now, literally, I love this. I don't think this is braggadocious at all, but I love that they're like, hey, come up on, and let's, we're going to walk on the wall. Wait till you see the armies that are going to be on this wall. That's how sturdy this wall is. But they, but they were lying to them. The, the, the people, they were trying to put, instill fear into the Jewish people, into those that were rebuilding the wall. And that's exactly one of the attacks of the enemy, isn't it? Spiritual warfare. He tries to, fear's a liar, right? Fear's a liar. He's a liar. So it says, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs, one that went to the right hand of the wall towards the refuse gate and the other that, other of them that went to Hoshiah, the half of the tribes uh, of the leader of Judah. I want you to paint the picture. You know what, Kevin? Can you throw up the, the picture on the screen for me? I, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. If you look at that right there, and we're in this section of VMI, we'll get down to verse 40. But do you see how it almost, it actually looks like, you know, in the land where we're, we're building the, the building, the, the, the Lord's building the church, it's that, it's the stormwater basin. It's almost the same kind of design as our stormwater basin on the land, actually. But do you see how you could see the arrows going in different directions? So what they have is they have two worship teams. One worship team's going to go this way. The other worship team's going to go this way, and they're going to meet on top of that wall, and you're going to see the different gates that they go around, and this is really, really amazing. So just keep looking at that sort of, if look down at your Bible, look up there as we read this, okay? He says, so I brought the leaders of Judah upon the wall and appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs, worship teams, one who went with the right hand of the wall towards the refuge gate, and then went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micahiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph, and his brother in Shemaiah, Azariel, 
Meliah, Geliah, Emeah, Nathaniel, Judah, Hedena, Hananiah, and the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. By the fountain gate, you see up there, you can see the fountain gate. In the front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. Now, the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall. I circle on the wall because it reminds me back in Nehemiah again, chapter 4, verse 3. You remember Tobiah, you could hold your hand here if you want to just quickly turn back and just to maybe underline or make a, a, a connection in your scripture, in your margin. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. He's trying to say, your work is insignificant and the work of the Lord is insignificant that you're doing here only to find out what is the reality of what God does. Huh? Look at this. And he says that they're walking on the wall, going past the tower of ovens that we see. As far as the broad wall, right? They were mocking, and look how strong this wall is. And above the gate of Ephraim, they're not laughing and mocking them now, are they? Above the old gate, above the fish gate, above the tower of Hanel, the tower of a hundred, as far as the sheep gate... And they stopped by the gate of prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God likewise. Again, they meet up at that point. And half of the rulers with me and the priests, Elikim, Mahasiah, Minjem, Mechaliah, or Mechaliah, excuse me, Eliniah, Zechariah, and Haniah, the trumpets, also Messiah, Shemiah, Elziah, Eleazar, Euzi, Jehanan, Malka, Ejaijah, Halilam, Ezer. These singers sang loudly with Jeraziah, the director. Also the day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also received the joy of Jerusalem. And it was heard afar off. You let the video play how awesome that is, right? Worship. Before we jumped into the word tonight, we all partook of worship together, didn't we? Sets our heart right. It gets us ready for the word of God. It gets us ready to enter the presence of God. And worship brings us into the throne room of God. And we see even at this dedication of the wall, look at the just worship thing, love, joy, thanksgiving. It's such a beautiful time. You know, I really believe that's what heaven's going to be filled with. That's what heaven's going to be like. A lot of worship, a lot of joy, a lot of singing. And we're going to enjoy it all. We're not going to grow weary or tired of any of it. We're not going to grow bored. What do I do next? So keep singing unto the Lord and loving it. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the house for the offering, the first fruits, the tithes. We're talking about when the people would bring their sacrifices, their tithes, their offerings. They actually created storerooms within this area so that those items could be stored safely to gather them into the front of the fields of the cities, the portion specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. I'm sure there's all the pastors love that, right? Both the singers and the gatekeepers, the security, kept charge of their, uh, of their God and the charge of their purification, according to the command of David and Solomon, his son, 
For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave portions for the singers and their gatekeepers. We also see here something, one of the most interesting places, even the worshipers, right? They were given a portion. They were given a portion and taken care of that way as they were taking care of the things of the Lord, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Now, we, we almost sometimes in teaching Nehemiah, you know, pastors, myself, we really wish the account would end there. And we'd talk about how it was such a wonderful revival and a time of reconciliation, and certainly it couldn't go backwards. And the children of Israel couldn't possibly go back like a dog to their vomit, could they? After all of this amazing manifestation of worship and praise and glory and honor to God. I mentioned a few chapters back that even when they were making that vow and that covenant to turn back to God, that in just such a short time, chapter 13, friends, it's, it's in here. There is a gap of time that occurs in between chapter 12 and 13. It doesn't read like it does in our Bibles, like right then it happened. But what we know, and we know this extra biblically as well as biblically in putting different accounts, is that if you remember, what was Nehemiah's uh, job? Do you remember before being a governor? And you remember what he was when he was found um, and what he served the king as? He was a cupbearer, that's right. Do you remember how he promised the king that he would go and do these things, but then he would what? He would come back and he would serve the king back as a cupbearer. In between chapter 12, uh, specifically this last verse, verse 47 there, in chapter 13, 1, there is a period of time in which Nehemiah goes back. And it's at that time when Nehemiah leaves this leader that God has raised that they begin to go back to their old ways, to their back sliding and but we can learn from this too can't we we can learn from this too on that day they read from the book of Moses now this is when Nehemiah comes back right because there was a time where he left and then he's going to come back as we're going to continue reading here in the hearing of the people and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. You might be thinking, well, where is this out of left field? Where did this come from? You might remember if we just hold our finger here and we turn to our, in our Bibles in our Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. And if we look carefully, we can go back to verse 3 and 4. And we can read God's heart and, and command on this here. It says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Why? Verse 4 tells us, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, remember him, the son of Beor and Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes things happen in our lives, and, and, and Lord, are you indifferent to the evil that's just befallen me? Is this something I've done? 
And it doesn't look like it's, we like to use the word fair. Or it doesn't look like, you know, God is attentive to that. Friends, I want to I encourage you what the scripture says. Vengeance is the Lord's. We don't have to consume ourselves with those things. It's not, it's, not our, it's not for us, friends. It's not for us. We're of a better covenant anyway. It's not, it's not for us. But, but the Ammonites and the Moabites who um, played upon the most vulnerable by going to the back and uh, attacking the women or the children or not allowing those that were trying to pass through from Egypt to the promised land by giving a direct route, by making them go around, by not helping them, not giving them bread, by not meeting them where they were at, God has, you know, God's going to remember this. And he says, no, this is not to be the way. Now, I know some of you are sitting in here and, and you're probably going, but wait a minute. There was a very prominent young lady, a humble, beautiful woman in scripture that we read about. Who, who am I thinking of? What a book is named after her? Ruth. And she was a Moabitess. Wait a minute. How can that be? She was a Moabitess to the 10th generation. Is that a contradiction of scripture? What is God trying to communicate here and what was he trying to communicate then? Ruth did something very special. She was living in a pagan land. Her husband was no longer alive. She looked to her mother, mother-in-law, you want to be technical, but mother, and said to her, I want to go with you. And not only do I want to go with you, but your God will be my God. You see that? What she did is she she became what we would say is a Jewish proselyte, one who converts to Judaism, one who begins to believe in the one true God. And so for those that are wondering, well, wait a minute, what about Ruth? Ruth was saved. Ruth got saved. This didn't apply to Ruth that way. It, wasn't a, it was talking about a foreigner in a pagan land, not a convert to the one true God. It says, well, no Amite or Moabite should even come into the assembly of God because they had not met with the children of Israel with bread and water, right? They had trickery and schemes instead, but hired Balaam against them uh, to curse them. Think about this. Almost a thousand years earlier that happened. A thousand years earlier. God's got a long memory, doesn't he? God's faithful. He's a promise keeper, right? However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. And that's what our God does. So it was, and you can look at Numbers chapter 22 specifically, when Balaam went out to curse uh, Israel because he was a hired hand as a, as a prophet to do that. And, and instead he ends up blessing Israel. And they're like, what are you doing? You're blessing Israel. And Balaam, they got, the people got mad at him. When they had heard the law, that they separated all the mixed multitudes from Israel. So once again, Nehemiah was away. Nehemiah comes back. He starts reading the law again. You know, when the cats away, the mice will play, excuse the term. And what they did is they were convicted. Right? And those who were convicted just, you know, they turned around and they said, no, we're going to separate from the pagan compared to those that are walking with God. Because what were the Jewish people always to be and are today to be? They were be, to be a witness to the nations, 
Remember, he chose, God chose the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, not because there was anything particularly special about them as a group of people. They weren't large in number or anything like that. But God has, God has favor upon whom he has favor, and he chose the nation, the Jewish people, through Abraham, actually through a Gentile, right? Son of Terah, a, a pagan traitor, right? An idol maker to begin a nation of witnesses to testify to the goodness and purity of the one true God. And so that's what we see here. So it's, it's just recounting. It's always, when they heard the law, we see what happens. There's those that are convicted, and apparently, as we're going to read in the rest of chapter 13 here tonight, there's those that weren't. Just like there's people in churches today that are, um, they may be here, they may be nice people, but they may not be born again. I think we just need to be aware of that. I mean, it says it's not till the end that the wheat and chaff gets separated. We need, we need to understand that, right? I, I think it would be foolish not to understand that. I mean, Scripture talks about that. But, but that was the idea here is that you had this mixed multitude of, that have come together. Now, before this, Elishab, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the houses in the temple of our God, was allied with Tobiah. So what's the problem here? Do you remember Tobiah? Tobiah that was coming against the Jewish people in chapter 4, trying to get them to stop building the temple, stop building, you know, not even the wall at that point, but rebuilding the temple and uh, I'd come against them. Here we are. He, they go away. And Elishab, Elishab, the priest, makes an ally with an enemy of Israel. He allies with uh, was, was the man that was at, how can I put it? the significance of this. He was an enemy of the man that was against the work of God. Right? You with me on that? So it says that, and he had prepared for him a large room. So not only that, but he actually goes into the temple, the house of God, where God is going to dwell, right? And he takes a room and he gives it to this man that's an enemy of the work of God. He cleans out, think about it. I mean, that the room wasn't just sitting empty. He took out the holy artifacts out of that room, placed them somewhere else, outside of the temple or some other room, so that this unholy man could come and take occupancy in this room. where they previously had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense and the articles of the tithes, the grain, the new wine, the oil, which he was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and their offerings for the priest. And the priest does this, by the way. This is a priest that does this. He's now giving this to the enemies of God. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. Where was he again, Nehemiah? He was back at the palace, right? Serving the king as the cupbearer. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered, and he doesn't mince words here, the evil that Elisheb had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. So you, you see what happens is when Nehemiah goes away, Satan doesn't take a break. Satan strikes. He, he's going to take full advantage of that. And it grieved me bitterly. You know, 
You know what's on my heart as I read? Where were the elders? Where were, where were the elders? Where were the men that were, were watching this? Where were the other priests? Did no one stand up and say, this is wrong? This is wrong. We're literally giving to the enemy of, of God a room in the most holy, sacred place. But not, not Nehemiah. He comes back and says, no, this is bitter. This is something deep down in his heart here, his soul. Therefore, I threw out the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. He, he, he doesn't come back and go, you know what? I want to be gentle. I really, I really want to. He goes in there and he just grabs all the stuff and he throws it right out. He throws it. There's, you know, friends, we want to we wanna, we wanna do things as Jesus Christ does them in all ways. We really do. But there are times where we are not to flirt with sin that way. Well, certainly always. And it's time to take an abrupt turn away from that. Whatever that sin is, right? People, um, uh, whether it's alcohol, drugs, addictions, pornography. I mean, you know, these things that we allow to take, where does God dwell again now? We've become the temple of what? The living God. He dwells where? In our hearts. He dwells in us. And yet we allow those storerooms in our hearts sometimes to become occupied with pagan idols. We allow those things to come in and take residency. And, and, and what we've done is we've taken the things of the Lord that are pure and holy and we've moved them out. So we can make room for that sin. We can make room for that. We, we don't think that way. We, it's not necessarily always deliberate. We're not sitting down and maybe having a conversation about it. Well, I'll, I'll give you a tenth and, you know, God, you can have this and, 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 you know, you can have this. And no. It happens so quick. It's Satan, the enemy, the principalities and powers... They work quick, and we need to work just as quick. We need to take those things and cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ and have nothing to do with them, nothing to do with them. We don't need to feel bad about that. We, we, you know, if, if we're hanging out with people that are doing drugs and we're enticed into that drug, you need to get away from them. Well, they're my friends. I've known them for 20 years. Right now, you need to get away. You need to get with the Lord, all right? You're, if I can say it this way, you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. The Lord loved, are, is, are they not the Lord's creation? Is God not going to send someone in to minister to them? Instead, we're offering our kids up today. It breaks my heart because we're doing the same thing today. We're taking our kids and we're offering them right up on the throne. And we're willingly doing it. You hear all the things going on today in these schools and these places? Taking kids without parents' permission, talking to them about transgender operations and doing all this without even parent permission. I mean, who would ever thought we'd be living in a time like this? That things like that could happen without, without a parent's involvement. And, and not only that, but teachers actually working in concert to make these things happen. Don't believe me. Look at, look at the articles that are coming out about this. They're being exposed. They're being exposed. We're living in a very evil and dark time. 
a very, very evil and dark time. And, and the problem is, is these things, these compartments, they've taken root in people's hearts. And people are so worried about being politically correct today that they're allowing these things to happen. And again, I feel like here we are again. We're taking our, our kids right to the, you know, maybe not us necessarily, but we're taking them right to the throne of Azareth and placing them right there again. What, why are, how are we doing it any different? And sacrificing them, lighting them on fire. But we somehow convince ourselves, no, we're not doing that. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. No, there's times where we, no. For me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, these things are not going to be in my heart. Lord, take them from me. Go to a friend, sit down, pray with them. You need strength, you need help, you need encouragement. Go to a brother, go to a sister, go to a pastor, go to an elder. Sit down and say, I'm struggling with this, help me, pray with me. And you watch how God will, he'll work in that. He will, he'll strengthen you. You may have tried to get off drugs 20 years on your own, and you watch, you, you invite the Lord into that equation. You, you invite the Lord into your marriage. You, you invite the Lord into your child rearing and raising of kids. You, you invite the Lord into your, your capacity as a teacher. You watch what God can do. Amen. He'll take and he'll remove those. Just like we read here. He, just, he didn't he get, the, get the items out of here. These are, these are enemies against the work of God. I don't want nothing to do with these. I'm not called to, I'm not called to balance things. He says, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the room. Do, what, do you know what you see that? It wasn't enough just to remove it. They, that room needed to be what? Cleansed and purified. I need to be cleansed and purified. The, fil- the reading of the word of God, what does it do? It washes the mind. Men, you're called in scripture, read to your wives the word of God. It washes them, it cleanses them, it removes the anxiety. Ladies, if you're not married or you're widowed or you're, you're, you're divorced or whatever, you and Jesus, you're wed. Open the Bible and let him speak to your heart and, and, and reveal these things for you. You, you, don't need, you don't need to go and... We need Jesus. We need Jesus and we need to pray that he enlarges our hearts. That's what we need. You know, in Ashbury, Kentucky, right? You heard about that. There's a revival going on right now. I don't know if it's, it still might be still going. And the Lord's put on my heart. I knew the, you know, the Lord's, I knew the Lord wanted to do, I've even said it to some of the young people before. I said, God wants to do a move, a work through the young people. I just know he wanted to do that because he's done it. He did it in the Calvary movement however many years ago. And God is a God of love and he wants to do it today. He's still looking to do it. And you know what? These young people, they're not perfect, but they come in and they repent because that's how it begins. They repent. The next thing you know, the teachers are coming in because the Holy Spirit's moving. They're all broke. Everybody's on their knees. They're crying. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're thinking, and they don't want to stop. They don't want it to stop. And it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's revival. It's not gossiping. It's not getting a group of people together. What do you think? What do you think? I'm interested in your opinion. You tell me this. That's not what's happening in Kentucky. Do you think it's a good idea? Should we come together and pray? You, you think that's fun? Is this, is this a cool thing to do? No. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. You and Jesus are a multitude. 
Then I commanded them, cleanse the rooms. And I, I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense, because this was the purpose of God all along. I also realized the portions of the Levites, right? The next problem had not been given to them for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone uh, back to his field. You know what happened is no longer were the people providing for those, the people that were working the land that normally were going and they were making their sacrifices to the, to the Lord. They were worshiping God through their sacrifices. And so doing, they were taking care of all the people that were ministering the worship because they stopped doing that. What ends up happening? No more worship. No more, no more uh, work in the church. Every, well, because there were, the, the people said, we got to provide for our kids, our family. We got to go back. So now it shuts everything down. So I contended, he says, with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? They were back to their selfish ways, weren't they? They were back to their selfish ways. And, and I gathered them together and set them in their place. And then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil of the storehouse. You know what happened here? Obedience after a rebuke. How many of us like to be rebuked? Anybody in here? Anybody's like, yeah, I love me a good rebuke. Right? Love me a, want a good, I, no, I'm the only one. No, I don't. You know what it tells me about their hearts? That they responded. What's the Bible say about a fool when, when given wisdom from counsel and then the rejecting of that wisdom? He's, he's equated to a fool. Right? I, I, I love their hearts. And what's also amazing is God was looking for an Isaiah again, or should I say a Nehemiah again? A man that would just stand up and say, this is wrong. We need to be doing what's right. We need to be putting God first. And again, I encourage you, guys, if you're here and the Lord is putting on your heart, you've heard me say it before, what are you waiting for? If God is calling you to handle the word of God, to preach and teach the word of God, it's calling you to plant a church, what are you waiting for? Step in faith. Honor the Lord. Be faithful. Well, says, with the new wine and the oil and the storehouse, and I appointed as treasurers, right? These means faithful men for this. Over the storehouse, Shelmiah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah. And the next of them was Hanan, the son of Zachor, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. So he brings in faithful men. That's the next thing it looks like. You want to put things back in order, Right? watch God anoint faithful men to put them in a place of leadership and then entrust them with the work. Not guys that we just are friends with or we pal around with, but faithful men that are filled with the Spirit of God. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this. Now we get into a focused prayer. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for its services... In those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath that was profaning it and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, and figs and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Again, remember, working on the Sabbath was against the law. And I warned them about the day of which they were selling provisions. 
Many of the many entires, speaking of the Gentiles as well, they were doing the same thing. They dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and Jerusalem. What's happening? It's becoming a marketplace. The Gentiles are coming in. They're selling their wares. Wow, they have cool stuff. I want their stuff. And they're doing it on the day that God has given them to rest to do what? To seek the Lord. It was supposed to be a day with you and Jesus right? It was a sign for Israel. It's not for the new covenant church. It's not for us, but it was a sign for Israel. It says in the Old Testament scriptures, every day is a holy day for us. Every day is a Shabbat for us, but it was a sign for Israel. And so this is like profaning that side God had given them. And so the children in the, and of Judah and in Jerusalem, you know what they were doing? They were acting like it wasn't a big deal. They're acting like it wasn't a big deal. And I just think back to chapter 10, verse 28. Didn't the people repent? Didn't they say, we're not going back? And they said, <clears throat> we're not going to do this thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And they profane it. And what's that word profane mean? It means to make common like everything else in the world. And that's what they did. Their worship became common. Their Prayer to the Lord became common. All of those things became common. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane, you can circle that in their Bible, in your Bible, the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus? And did not your God bring all a disaster upon us in the city? If you remember, what was one of the reasons they went into captivity? Because they didn't honor the Shabbat. They didn't honor the rest of the land. The, the, they didn't honor these things and God put them in that, Right? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath, by making it common. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it was, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants, trusted servants again, at the gates that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Just, just think about that. Some people today would say, well, that's not very tolerant. You mean you literally just locked the doors so that people couldn't bring in their wares? and do You're not being very, very tolerant or very accepting. Hmm. Now, the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay a hand on you. <laughs> Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah. He's my guy. Nehemiah is like, I'll come handle it myself next time. You know what I love about him? Friends, it's not because he's, it's because he's got a shepherd's heart. He's got a shepherd's heart. He's going to protect the flock. He's going to come against those that are going to try to come in as wolves among sheep. He's going to turn around and those that are trying to bring wares in and merchandise and, oh, no, it's okay. We're just, you know, we're, just a, we're, we're going to do something new, a little something different here. It's going to be good this time. This time it's going to be good. And, and he says, no, we're not going to have any of that. We're not going to have any of that. We need Nehemiahs today, friends. We need Nehemiahs to stand and be willing to stand in the gap and say, no. You're not going to hurt my beloved. No. No. Get out of here, you know. Blessed subtraction. 
you need to go. To me, the most popular thing in, the, in these programs are all about how to fill the church seats and how to fill the pews. That's what, you know, that's what gets sent in the emails and different things, you know, these conferences you go to. It's all about how you can put people in the seats and keep them entertained. Because as long as you keep them entertained and they can keep punching the Sunday ticket, you can keep this whole operation going. And it's just like it was prophesied in Scripture that one day when the spirit would be moved, and I think it was a Tozer that said it, might have been Tozer or Spurgeon, he says, the whole thing is going to keep going and the spirit of God is removed and nobody's going to be the wiser because none of it's spirit-led anymore. It's on autopilot. It's become a program. Because it's more about filling the sheet of the seats than it is about discipleship, about the growing and maturing of the body of Christ, equipping saints for the working for the work of the ministry, to the perfecting. Right? We know that's the time that you know the glorified body in Christ. We know that will happen. But that's what we do. That's why we're here. It's iron sharpening iron. We're we're under the word of God. God is changing and doing a work in us right now. Certainly, I'm not encouraging any of you to go out and lay hands on someone, right? That's not our place. That's not our place. The Lord, the Lord handles those things. But there is a time where you may be called to stand in front of your door at your house when somebody tries to come in and take your Bible or take your wife or take your kids. And you better be willing to stand up and say, not today. Not here, not now. From the time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. You see, that's what happens when you stand up that way. That's what happens. It's the funny thing. All these cities that we see now that are being overrun and vandalized and terrible things are happening because we put the good men and women. I'm not saying that, you know, every police officer is perfect, but majority, you know, are. They're good men and women trying to do the right thing and protect people. And when you lay them off or you remove them and there's no consequence to sin, you know, and you let all the people in the prisons out because, you know, we, we want to be, you know, we want to, we want to get votes and they'll vote for us. And so we can keep this whole program going. Did you see the latest update in the federal, uh, how many workers working in government have not, not only since COVID, had not come back to work yet and they're still receiving paychecks? They're just now, the House Committee's now just ordering an investigation in this because there's thousands that have never come. They're not, it's not like they're teleworking from home, like the 2019 direction they had. They're not coming in at all. They're not doing anything and they're still receiving paychecks in the government. How do we get to this place? We're so worried about what people think. How about what God thinks? How about what God thinks? And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, purify, right? You're not common either. And that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Again, prayers. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. So what do we say? It's idolatry, right? And could not speak the language of Judah. That's exactly what happens. But spoke according to the language of one, of one of the other people. It's all pagan. The very thing God was trying to protect his holy people from. 
So I contended with them and cursed them. Now, this doesn't mean you circle in your body. This means he's, he's not using profanity. That's not what he means. It's what we read in scripture where he talks about anathema, a curse be on you if you do this, like you turn your back on God that way. As a matter of fact, wasn't that what the people brought, if you remember in the earlier chapters, because they didn't have a signet or a seal or something they could sign it with. So they said, let it be a curse unto us if we don't do these things. And they struck some of them and pulled them out, pulled out their hair and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughter as wives to their sons nor their daughters for your sons and yourselves. Can you imagine today? I mean, we don't even want to discipline our children anymore. You know, don't you do that. No, no, no. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I I don't. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Sometimes we need rebuke, friends. We can be done in love, and it should be done in love. But we're not to compromise sin. How are we preparing them? How are we consecrating them unto the Lord to purify and make them holy when we allow them to dabble in sin, things that are wrong? They want to know. You know, the children, it's, it's really remarkable. You can ask the teachers in the school here. You can talk. They want to do the right thing. They really do. They want direction. They want correction. They understand that's love. They don't want to be told, well, you know, and they don't feel like they're getting love at the home. I remember growing up, how many times, you know, friends of mine, you know, they wanted to come over the house or something because my mother was very good, loving in that way. And yet they had, you know, we were pretty kind of poor and, you know, we, my parents were divorced. So we had a lot of, my mother was a single mother practically and, you know, I just remember, you know, they wanted to be over our house doing different things. I had brought, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you have this beautiful house. You have all these things. And the parents were never around, never invested in the kids. And, and they came over the house, and my mom was strict. She was a short little Italian woman. She beat everybody the same. I mean, it was like, you were her kid or not, you were getting the beaten. You know, really, I mean, that's the way it was, right? Some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you are younger, like, going, I don't believe in that. I will never beat or spank my child. <laughs> my wife said that one time, too, until the boy, you know, and then she's like, oh, no. <laughs> it's amazing. It was like a revival right at that moment. <laughs> it's like a conversion experience. <laughs> hmm. I love you. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil? They're indifferent, aren't they? Transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And now in verse 20, he's going to deal with the priest. He said, and one of the sons of Jodiah and the sons of Ilshab, Ilshab, the the high priest, was the son-in-law of Senbal at the Horning. Oh, so now we're starting to get the connection here. This is why the uh, Tobiah and all those guys were allowed to move in because they started intermarrying into their families even though they were allying against the work of God. 
That's why God is very specific on what marriage is to look like. Evenly yoked, a believer with a believer. This is never to be compromised with. Never to be cosmized with. You know, friends, God wants to give you the joy of your heart. The joy of your heart. He says, therefore, I drove him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. They should have known, right? They are doubly judged. Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan, and I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service and to the bringing of wood and offering and the first fruits at the appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. It's fitting, isn't it? The way that Nehemiah wants to be remembered, obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the Lord. I have seven things that we'll close with here. We're not going to start Esther tonight. Seven things I want to close with. It just if I had to sort of you know, summarize Nehemiah or his character in the book. The first thing, well, this is an extra one. It's okay to have a biblical standard. It's okay to have a biblical standard, and it's okay not to compromise with the world standard. It's okay if you feel alone. If you feel separate, if you feel like nobody else around you understands why you won't speak in profanities, why you won't do certain things, that, that why you won't look and laugh at, you know, on a phone, and, uh, uh, you know, an inappropriate picture of a man or woman on a phone, why you say, get that junk from me. I don't want to see that. That's not fun to me. That's not funny. Why you're not willing to stand around the water cooler at work and, and you know, make jokes and no it's okay it's okay it's not a popularity contest it's okay to have a biblical standard that's the first thing that I look at in Nehemiah's man all right so when we look at these seven things great character and conviction and zeal great character with conviction and zeal he lays it down hot you know he didn't need to he didn't want to explain he just simply acted in the sharpness of his direction he didn't stutter. His words spoke loud. His actions spoke louder. Second, it's all based on scripture. Everything Nehemiah did wasn't based on his opinion or what he thought the right thing was to do. He was obedient to God, put God first, and wanted not only that he was going to live by that standard, but even as a governor, he was going to take his role in government serious, and he was going to govern according to God's standards. How many times do we hear about politicians that say they're saved only to find out that they practice and live a different way? Third thing, everything he does is in love. I'm pretty sure that some people were like, oh, here's Nehemiah coming. Ah, you know, let's go the other way. I don't want him to pull out my beard and give me a slap, right? You know, I'm, I, look, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that today. Certainly. But his love is beautiful and it's real. And there's nothing that Nehemiah would ask any one of those men to do that he wasn't willing to do himself. It was all rooted in love, a perfect love. You want real love? That's what real love looks like. It's perfect. Fourth, we see that sin, when Nehemiah leaves, he goes back. Sin will spread without that truth and love. There needs to be an evidence, a character, a presence of that for genuine reconciliation and genuine revival. Fifth, 
You and I, we have a greater than Nehemiah. We have Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. What can't God do through you today? Do you want to be a part of the miracle of God? Sixth, let's not play Christian. I don't know about you, but I want to ask God tonight for that same character that God, he gave Nehemiah. I want to be a Nehemiah. I want to be a man that will stand in the gap and be willing to go it alone, regardless of what the world, the popularity of people think of me. I want to be faithful no matter what. So I want to pray for a Nehemiah-like character. And I saw, because I see how God used him so mightily. And seven, I want to love like Nehemiah. Again, I have a greater than Nehemiah living in me. I want to love like Jesus. I want to be an image bearer of Jesus. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I want to be an image bearer of God. And I just want to be faithful and finish well. Whether that's tonight, because we're raptured tonight, we don't know when the Lord's going to do it, or if he should tarry for 10 years. I'm thankful for the elders and the counselors at this church. I'm thankful for the pastors. I'm thankful that I don't have yes men around me. I have godly men and women that love Jesus and their allegiances to God over a man. And I encourage all of you to surround yourself likewise because there's a lot of people that want to give you counsel today. A lot of people that want to give you their opinions on all kinds of topics. And they're probably the people that shouldn't be speaking at all. They're usually the people that don't know the word of God, but have very strong opinions. Amen? Good study with Nehemiah. Let's have a closing song. Let's worship just like they did. Um, have the worship team, the musicians come forward. Next week, we'll begin the book of Esther. It's a beautiful book. I'm just curious, how many of you have read Esther line by line in church or been through a study with Esther line by line? Some of you, yeah. I think some of you ladies, uh, Lisa did the teaching with the woman's study, I think, I don't know, was that a years ago? A couple years ago. Um, it is a book on providence. It's one of the most interesting books that you're going to have, too, certainly with a woman's name. But when you look at this book, Ezra, or Esther, I mean, excuse me, um, written, you know, somewhere between 485 B.C. to 465 B.C. Um, again, it takes place between Ezra chapter 6 and 7. It's a book on providence. Not one time is God's name a pronoun, a synonym, or anything like that written in this book. And yet, God's fingerprints are all through it. And it teaches us another way, much like after that, we'll read Job, right? Everybody's loving Job, right? We're going to read Job after Esther. And, you, and we all think, okay, Job, oh my. We all know what that means and what it stands for. You know, as we, we learned a little bit about God, that in the antediluvian period, right, what? What did we learn about God? That it's not what the culture thought, that, that you know, the wealthy and the rich and every, they weren't the ones, that, the only ones that were blessed by God, right? And, and God lets the rain fall on the good and the, the, the evil, if you can say it, the righteous and the unrighteous. The mean, the main theme in Esther is providence. God is working his plan and purpose, even when we can't discern it nor detect it, even when we can't see it. He's still moving.
we need to pay attention to the hearts, her heart, our hearts. When God places a love in our heart, it's not a coincidence. There are no coincidences. There, are, there is no such thing as luck. And we're going to learn all about that. We're going to learn more about the character of God in Esther. So uh, come next week. Be ready if the Lord should tarry. If you're able to stand, please stand with me. And we're going to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray the, the prayer of our heart that we love to shout your name. We love to worship you. Lord, may you be glorified, magnified, Lord. You're everything to us. Lord, protect us from the same 
examples that we just read of tonight, Lord, of that backsliding. Protect us of comfort and convenience. Protect us from, Lord, um, the idolatry and the compartmentalization of our hearts, Lord, with being tempted and enduring um, with sin for far too long. Lord Jesus, please deliver us. Forgive us, deliver us, Lord, and set us right. Give us hearts and minds like Nehemiah, like you, Jesus Christ. May we see things from your spiritual 2020. Lord, we pray for travel mercies back to our homes, Lord, for sweet sleep tonight. And we thank you for the goodness of your word and the goodness of your love, God. We love you, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a beautiful night in Christ Jesus.